<laughs> that was the one thing that I refused to accept in this film. This kid is like 75 pounds mm-hmm. and he's chugging 40s. Yeah. He would die. Yep. He would die. Don't get me wrong. There was alcohol consumption when we were really, really young. Mm-hmm. But nobody can drink a 40 when the 40 weighs more than you do. <laughs> like, like, you're just – you would – he would be in the hospital. Yeah, I mean 40. That's almost mid-90. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 523 with a review of mid-90s, but also a review of Minding the Gap. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, this week, as uh, you know, mid-90s is coming to a theater near you, but also uh, a few months ago, a month ago, whatever it was, uh, there was a little documentary that came out on Hulu uh, called Minding the Gap. And I think if you've seen either of these films and you've seen the trailer for the other or have seen the other these films, uh, let's just say that they're, they, there's a lot of overlap and there's a, there's a, it, it, like, there's no reason not to see both of them within a small time frame and kind of experience both those at the same time, just right. because there, there, there's so much to connect these two films that it felt irresponsible of us to not go back and also, uh, shoehorn in a, a review of, of that. So. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, as we're as we're front loading this this episode with two uh, films about skateboarding, I mean, we have to start this episode by talking about art history with skate culture. Uh, so Stephen Miller, did you grow up skating? What did skating mean to you? And <laughs> uh, what did skating meant to me? Uh, that Bob Burnquist could do a triple backflip in Tony Hawk Pro Skater <laughs> and literally nothing else. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I grew up around skateboarding, of course, all the time. We both grew up in Southern California. Um, it was a very big thing around there. I think the SoCal skater bro is its own archetype unto itself that is like maybe even different from the archetype in other places. Um, kids had fingerboards. That was really big when I was like <laughs> in school. I never understood loving that. Kids had skateboards. I never owned one. I definitely like learned how to skateboard. I never learned how to really do tricks on it or anything. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I just spent hours and hours playing Tony Hawk on PlayStation. <laughs> and, and that was really my relationship with it. Um, yeah. I mean, I. I, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll probably get into it a little more later on in this review. But I, I definitely had a a quick dive into uh, skate culture in the sixth grade when I moved from. Being a little bit inland to being more on the coast, um, oh, side, so- south, yeah, South Ocean side, um, where most of the kids in sixth grade were skaters, um, and I joined that group because I knew somebody in the group, and I think that like I was probably uh, when it comes to skate culture, I was probably right in there with the lead in mid nineties, <laughs> where I was <laughs> like, okay, I got a board, I can't really do any tricks, <laughs> but I'm hanging out with these guys, and I am like immersed in in being around a bunch of people who skate like primarily as the thing they do, like skate and play acoustic guitar, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what everybody did. In I, South I did Ocean the second time. part. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was into it for a little bit. Um, I quickly transferred into uh, BMX <laughs> bikes because uh, you could build giant dirt ramps and do crazy shit without needing to know how to do tricks. Um, and that was sort of like a quick progression that I moved away from skateboarding into that. 
Um, but it was basically like, you grew up like watching the X Games and stuff. And you yeah, were, I was going to ask the BMX thing. Were you like a big X Games fan at yeah, that time? Really, really big. I mean, I, it's because I got into BMX biking. Also, that that was the one extreme sport that I sort of did. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just one of those things where it's like I, I don't think I had aspiration. I, I didn't have aspirations like other like some of the characters in this, these films where it's like I just need to get to pro level and be sponsored and all that kind of stuff. I just wanted frames. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is the thing to do and hang out and like. Um, yeah, I so. That's where I was, but yeah, I was never good. I think the height of my skateboarding was I could ollie up a curb. Nice. <laughs> I'm that, impressed. And that was it. <laughs> See, I've never figured out any board-related sport. Like, I can't snowboard. I can ski pretty well. I couldn't ever really skateboard well, but I could rollerblade the, the shit out of you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I did have a little a little bit of time on rollerblades, but uh turned out skateboarders and rollerbladers didn't get along. So yeah. uh, that was that was for uh, quote-unquote hockey. <laughs> <laughs> it, it even reflected in the video games I played because I switched from uh, Tony Hawk to what was the, there was like a BMX equivalent of Tony Hawk. Oh, was it Matt Dave Mira's? Yeah, Dave uh, Mira's. Something. Matt I, I don't remember the name. It was something like that. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I went all in on bikes instead. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't good at that either, but I, <laughs> I liked it more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was it was fun times. So, when... did you hang out at skate parks? Uh, so skate parks weren't like a thing like they are now where every neighborhood in america has like mm-hmm. a, like a big ass skate park that people built i didn't go to any of the big ones because like i said i wasn't good enough to like drop in on like a half pipe or something like that um so it was mostly just skating around our school like mm-hmm. going in there after after hours or on the weekends and riding around and stuff like that so that was sort of the world i existed in um but yeah, I've I've never gone to skate park myself. My brother did that uh, when he was younger. Um, he stuck to it a lot longer than I did. <laughs> I gave up, switched to longboards, and just bombed hills yeah. after that. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> and now, now he rides electric yeah, now skateboards. I, now I have a boosted board and ram into cars. <laughs> it was one car that I rammed into, and it was not completely not both of our faults. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyways, uh, it's time for us to talk about mid-90s and then at some point do a transfer into uh, Minding the Gap. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're probably going to do a little bouncing back and forth between them. Maybe a grind um, in between. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so so we'll, we'll try to make sure that if we are going to approach spoilers that we actually take the time to separate that um so let's let's try to kind of remain ambiguous about certain things but we can kind of talk about the overlap um on some level and then Mm -hmm. decide what we want to do from there okay um so we're gonna take a listen to the trailer for mid 90s um and then also a trailer for mining the gap sure why not i got all the time in the world (laughs) (laughs) all right we're gonna take a listen to both trailers real fast back to back i'll let you guess which one is which (laughs) and then we're gonna come back and give you guys a review Trade your shit for their shit. So let's go. 
while we ride a piece of wood, what that does to somebody's spirit. So cool. Yo, Stevie is sane. <laughs> Take one. I'm making this film because I saw myself in your story. I always felt like I didn't fit in with my family. My parents ran this very controlling house. I ran away a lot. Skateboarding is more of a family than my family. How did you get disciplined? I mean, well, they call it child abuse now, but... Life might be moving too fast. We have to fully grow up, and it's going to suck. When you're a kid, you just do. You just act. And then somewhere along the line, everyone loses that. I knew you had some huge weight on you. Skateboarding meant more to you. It was kind of a life-or-death thing. I remember hearing screaming coming from your room, and it was, like, really really unnerving. One of the last things I said to my dad was that I hate you. You can't just have a child and abandon them. Life doesn't work like that. I just don't want him to grow up like me. I just want to hide. I just want to run away. That's what the drinking is about. Maybe you're right. Maybe I need to just move on. I wish you could. I wish that I could do over. I could seriously be on the verge of having a mental breakdown, but as long as I'm able to go skate, I'm completely fine. All right, so those are the trailers for Mid-90s and also Mining the Gap. Uh, Mid-90s is a film about a young boy who kind of encounters a group of skateboarders and they sort of take him under their wing and he sort of escapes from his home life to kind of go uh, do this riding and skateboarding with uh, those friends. And it sort of involves a small window of time where these people are hanging out. Uh, Mining the Gap is a story about a group of kids who... um, kind of escape their world that they're in to skateboard because that's the thing that they love and that kind of helps free them from their lives. And um, one of their friends happens to have a video camera, much like a kid in mid-90s, and uh, he's been just documenting them hanging out and doing their skateboarding over the course of many years and uh, kind of pieces together this documentary, uh, looking at both his life and the life of his friends as they've kind of maintained friendships and uh, been skateboarding together for most of their lives. So... Stephen Miller, let's start. Let's start with uh, mid '90s, and then mm-hmm. you can start throwing things in whenever you feel like it. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll go back and forth once on mid '90s, and then maybe we'll start throwing in comparisons. Okay, um, yeah. So mid '90s was a movie that I was excited for. Uh, I think the buzz I had heard around it from pretty much everyone who had never seen it yet was, <laughs> "Oh, it looks like Jonah Hill is doing his Lady Bird." You know, yeah. If if Lady Bird was like an ode to high school in Sacramento. This was going to be an ode to like slightly earlier high school or junior high or middle school in Los Angeles in the skating scene. Um, And then it kind of took a turn where it it started premiering at festivals and stuff. And 
word changed where I was starting to hear like, this ain't no ladybird, you know, <laughs> this ain't no, this isn't an awards contender, you know, this is way too rough of a movie. It's maybe quote pretentious. Jonah Hill doesn't know what he wants to do. Like I was starting to hear negative criticism. Um, and I have to say, like, after seeing it, I, I get where the criticism is coming from, but I do not agree with it at all. I think for what Jonah Hill wanted to do, this movie is great. I, I think mid-90s is a very unflinching look at a very, like, specific slice of life in a period of time that, like, we're both pretty intimately familiar with. Like, yeah. this time and place and the type of kid that this movie is about. Um, I mentioned before that I was not one of these kids, but I had them around me all the time. And the variety that I had that I felt like I registered with so much in this movie was the the quote bad kids who would be at like church camp or at school or wherever I am. There would be this group of kids that always like at any place they would kind of congregate a little bit to the side. And when everyone else is like hanging out, they would be like daring each other to do backflips off of like the porch. (laughs) Right. And like, they'd be laughing and there'd be bruises on them and they're kind of like fucking with each other, but they also like clearly loved each other. They weren't like bullies or the cool kids, but they also weren't, not they were like their own thing right their their own tribe that did not have to do with the typical like class warfare or whatever of high school or middle school um and i thought this movie just like showed that very 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 well i think this is not a nostalgic movie at all i think like people who think this is him attempting to do ladybird like didn't watch it as far as I can tell. Like he is not basking in the nineties. He's not like taking a trip down memory lane. It really feels like a movie where he's saying, this is either the sort of kid I was or the sort of kid that I was intimately familiar with. I just want to show you a few days in their life. And like he falls prey to some first filmmaker tropes, right? Where it goes way too big sometimes, like more than it needs to be. Yeah, There's kind of, grand dramatic arcs that happen uh there's one scene at a party that i think goes way further than it needed to be to get the point across and if gender roles were flipped it would be like fucking very uncomfortable um and there's another scene toward the end of the film that just didn't need to be there like the the message would have been the same without any of these events happening um but with that said i love a lot of movies that like go over the top and go too far to get their drama across and to me this is totally of an ilk with that like this isn't an Andrea Arnold movie. This isn't a Linklater movie. This isn't any of those things, but it is like very heartfelt and personal. And I think incredibly keenly observed. I think the, the way these kids behave terribly to each other, they talk terribly. They talk in 2018, non 2018 ways that almost guarantee this will not win any awards this year. Yeah. Um, and like they, they cheer each other on when they're doing shitty things. Like the, the party scene I mentioned, like I didn't love it. But that is 100% the way those kids would have reacted in that moment. Like, this movie is very, very, very honest about the way people are and the glimmers it gives you into people's family lives. Um, Like, Lucas Hedges is only peripherally in this movie, but I feel like so much is spoken about that character and that family with the couple scenes he's in. Yeah. Um, Like, if you needed any proof that this is true, we're going to get to a documentary later that like <laughs> tells you just how like true these kind of comparisons are. So yeah. yeah, I, I, I didn't think this was perfect. 
Like it, it definitely was a little rough, but it, it was what he said. He, he used this word that I really liked in the Q and A after he said he was trying to make a jagged movie, a movie that like moves jaggedly between different emotions. And this is as jagged as I feel like hanging out with your friends and doing a jump and suddenly you like land on your head and are bleeding and then you're laughing, right? <laughs> this is that movie. And yeah, I, I really liked it for what it was. I think there's nothing quite like it this year. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of existed in that same boat that you were before seeing the film where um, I, like, the only things that I had heard about the film at all, like, uh, word of mouth from, like, podcasters I listened to, was comparing it unfavorably to um, to Minding the Gap. Like, people who were like, you know, uh, or it was like people talking about man- Minding the Gap and celebrating that film and being like, just to say, I saw I saw this at a f- festival, and I just didn't care for it. And I think Money to Gap does this so much better than that. So I, I was kind of, you know, I had only seen the trailer a single time, like at Alamo during seeing something else, and I, I was I was curious about it. I was like, okay, well, we'll see how this is gonna go. And then I started to hear these negative words about it, and I was kind of like, oh man, this kind of sucks. But then Alamo was doing like a screening with the Q and A, and I was like, well, I'm not gonna not go to this. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know what to expect when I walked in. Um, and as I said, like I. I was tangentially within the skater culture. Like I was within a group of friends who were way in, more into it than I was. And I was sort of an outsider. I was like the new kid in in the, that part of the city and mm-hmm. just kind of hanging out. So it's like I didn't know what to expect from this film. And I think that like it nails so many things. Like I love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Um, I, as I said, like I, I identify a lot with the lead character. Not all the way with him. If you've seen this film, like – there are certain aspects to his uh, personality and his life and his reactions to the life around him that I don't identify with. Um, but I'm like, that, that's fine. Like I can, there, you, when you watch a film, you kind of piecemeal grab little bits of things from everything. Um, but I, I just, I, I thought it was an extremely authentic look at what it was like to be a kid back then and look at the way that things like matter. And I remember like, it is not a film that reaches for nostalgia overall. But it made me feel extremely oh, sure. nostalgic. Yeah, you like, recognize your childhood. Yeah, like the um, getting your first hand-me-down board and the feeling you would have if you saw somebody else get a board when you just like scrimped and saved to buy this other board and somebody else just gets one for free, right? Like this, this like that was like a skateboard is like $120. Mm-hmm. That was a million dollars when I was in sixth grade. A million. I would never be able to save up to get that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like the fact that like, like just that moment of you actually getting i remember uh one time um we because as i said my brother was like way more into skating than us and uh i like i I don't for some reason i was part of getting him just the deck for his board um um, for like christmas or his birthday and like he didn't want to ride it because he didn't want to ruin it (laughs) it was like a thing where it's like i remember like we got you like a new skateboard and you're you're just gonna keep it under your bed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like so confused at the time, but like I, I remember these feelings of like this is your board, board and you own it. And, like you watch skate videos, right? And like somebody uh, does something and just breaks their board, and then they just wreck it to shit because they're pissed because the board's gone. I mean, it's like Sandlot, right? When they yeah. hit the ball over the fence, and they're like, "Well, now, now we can't fucking play baseball anymore. This sucks." Um, but there's a lot of moments in this film that just you watch this character try to be a part of this group, actually be accepted into the group find heroes within the group question the validity of that like wonder of the hero ship that that he like puts on these people and like there was just something really compelling about yes on the one hand this is just a bunch of ruckus kids 
messing around and getting into trouble and being kind of little shitheads, right? <laughs> like yeah. they're 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 not even dumb wiener kids. They're just shitheads sometimes. Um, but they some of them are less shitheads than other. Some of them are more than other ones. Some of them are just like trying to be something. And like there there is there was a weight and a gravity to the daily playing of little kids. And whether or not they knew it, they were forming these relationships that just like the things that mean the most to you at that time are dumb, trivial things when you're older, but at the time they're like the heaviest thing in the world. And it, I just, there was something really, really amazing about um, watching this and being transported there um, that just made me feel like, like, as you said, like they, they don't speak in 2018 right. language that would be acceptable, but it's like, that's what it was back then. And it, and it doesn't feel like somebody trying to write kids like that. It just feels like kids like that. Right. Um, and I, I, I just, I, I just felt really uh, captivated by the story as a whole. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I love like every ounce of this movie. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think this this kind of fits in a space chronologically. It's somewhere between like the Florida Project and American Honey, I think, which is looking at like young people who are in a rough circumstance who are bonding with each other and maybe don't like completely know the meaning of that bonding yet. And like, I like, like in the Florida project, for instance, uh, that girl is in a very abrasive place and like, she isn't doing much wrong, of course, cause she's a little kid. Like yeah. we're, we're not going to judge that, but clearly terrible things are happening around her. And yet she is just playing and carving out meaning in her life. Yeah. And in American honey, th- the kids are like doing fucked up shit. Like the, the kids are pulling fast ones over on other adults. They're like scamming people. They're, also being like very rowdy and like disrespectful and but there's just like kind of a a love to that portrait where it isn't it isn't excusing it it isn't saying this is great it's just saying like this is what it is and now we're going to watch people who live in this world yeah. um and yeah i really appreciated that i like i think all the kids do a great job i think uh, the lead actor sunny Suljic, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name i don't know either i i think he is great for what he's they're trying to do with this character here you really feel like how you could be so in awe of the older kids and just want to be one of them right yeah you're you're just so terrified of like saying anything that could out you as a loser or get you (laughs) kicked out of the club like like thank you yeah like saying thank you (laughs) and uh yeah i just think every kid had like a different dynamic to offer which was really interesting like the the older the ringleader character Ray has clear parallels in the documentary we're about to discuss too, where yeah. he's like a a very kind kind of gentle character who is fitting in and kind of shepherding people, but he isn't you know actually pushing them to do bad things so much. And then there are the clear kind of more quote fuck upy people in the movie like uh, fuck shit <laughs> appropriately <laughs> named. Um, it's so funny, like I. I was there for the dialogue where, he, where they called him fuck shit and I knew his name was fuck shit. But like I was I was I was almost censoring it in my mind as function and then I'd be like, oh no, wait, it's fuck shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And and I think just everyone fills these different archetypes in ways that again it isn't archetype sounds bad because it sounds like this is like a morality story, and it isn't. It like this is not a morality story. This is a troublingly realistic story that is like not holding your hand through it at all. Yeah. Um but I just think like Jonah Hill really taps into a very specific way of living, and I think he he does it justice in a way that 
is really hard to do. Like, it's hard to make this movie and not make it be so abrasive that people walk out or, like, so treacly that people don't think it's real anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was definitely into it. And I think... <coughs> Sorry. I think the the parallels to the other movie we're going to talk about are extremely, extremely numerous. Um, and And what's interesting is, like, this movie made me empathize with these kids, even though their life looks nothing like mine. Like, these kids are early high school or some of them early middle school. You know, the lead character, the actor was 11 when he made this movie. Um, so crazy. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> and these characters are, you know, they're drinking beer, they're smoking pot. <laughs> so that, that was the one thing that I refused to accept in this film. This kid is like 75 pounds mm-hmm. and he's chugging 40s. Yeah. He would die. Yep. He would die. Don't get me wrong. There was alcohol consumption when we were really, really young. Mm-hmm. But nobody can drink a 40 when the 40 weighs more than you do. <laughs> like, like, you're just, you would, he would be in the hospital. Yeah, I mean, 40, that's almost mid 90. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I agree. But like, so, so that kind of behavior, I was a goody two shoes loser kid. Like, I was not that person <laughs> at all. But it, it did have me kind of thinking about like, how did I judge those kids back then? Like, I saw myself as so different from them. Like, they yeah. were the ones that were the bad kids. They were doing bad things. But deep down, they were the same kind of bad that I was. Like, I was also shitting all over people. I was also deeply disrespectful. Like, I don't... I'm so glad there's not, like, a video camera to record the conversation my friends and I had when we were, like, good church kids, the way we talked yeah. about, like, girls as objects or, like, immigrants. or Like, we said terrible things. Terrible, yeah, terrible, yeah. terrible shit to try to get a rise out of each other. And there's something almost endearing about the kids that like wear their shittiness on their sleeves. Right. And if there's one thing that that crowd was to me, it was like, we have, we have flaws and we're upset and like, we're angry about stuff and we're just going to show you, like, we're just going to be bruised and we're going to be rowdy and we're going to curse. And like, we're not going to wear a pretty face in one situation and then be douchebags in another. Like, we're just going to be consistent. Yeah. And I kind of want to say they were better in the end because, like, <laughs> they were at least honest about what they were going through when, like, most of us weren't, I think. Yeah. While you're saying that, I, I just remembered the first conversation we are introduced to these characters. Uh, the, uh, they're, uh, <laughs> they're hypothetical. They pose to each other in the, inside that skate shop. Also, who, who ran that skate shop? I don't know. Like... <laughs> It was, it was a bunch of fucking kids. Like maybe Ray worked there. I can't really tell. I mean, he better have worked yeah. there, given Things his uh, fr- freedom with the <laughs> with merch. Yeah, I, I also think you know, on paper, hearing that there's like rowdy hypothetical conversations between kids. You could think, oh, Jonah Hill is just being Jonah Hill, right? He's like tapping back into that super bad thing, or he, yeah. he's doing his know how I know you're gay. You know, he's getting away with it because he's setting it in the '90s, and like I didn't get that sense at all. I feel, if anything, like of course he is reckoning with this. Like his fame came in a world where like that sense of humor was like still kind of a thing, right? Like, yeah. and he has to like reckon with that fact that like he was an icon for people who wanted to talk shit and we're also not very 2018 at all right i mean i i my my i came home the other day and my roommates were watching super bad yeah and the plot of that movie is they want to go to a party and get drunk 
and fuck Emma Stone mm-hmm. so that she'll be his summer boyfriend so that when he gets to college, he can have lots of sex and he'll be good at it by then. Yeah. Like, that's the whole plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, huh. There you go. Yeah, yeah. These things do not age well. And I'm, I'm not blaming Judd Apatow for that, right? Like, he, he had his finger on the pulse of a moment. Yeah. That moment has passed. It, it's right that it passed. But, like, for the time it was, he nailed the way high schoolers were. And I, I just think it would be, like, it'd be dishonest to not look at that. And I feel like the kids in this movie are the kids who grow up to be Jonah Hill's biggest fans, right? Yeah. They're going to pack the theater when Superbad comes out, and they're going to be roaring with laughter. And I, I, I don't know, I just really, I like that. It kind of felt like him acknowledging his past and moving forward because he's also showing, like, the flip side of it, where yeah. I don't think the movie is... Um, the movie is aware that, like, the language the kids are using is not great. Yeah. And th- the movie is not glorifying the way the kids behave, the way the kids treat other people, any of that. It's just saying, this is what it is. Empathize with it. I'm out. Like, that. that's the end of the movie. Yeah. And yeah, that's the thing, too, is it's... it's I, I, I know that, like, when Wolf of Wall Street came out, a lot of people, like, half the people were like, yeah, these guys are awesome. And the other half were like, fuck these guys. I don't want to ever be them. Mm-hmm. And I think that this film never celebrates them it just exists within them and you kind of there there's this like uh there's a sense of they're always doing bad and like i said they're they're little shithole shithole kids and you want them to succeed but you're also like you don't want to give them any leniency in their actions because they're just terrible little kids um and not their fault necessarily (laughs) so i think this is a great opportunity to bring in the other movie about the different paths people go on and how much is their fault and how much should we judge them versus accept them for it. Yeah. Uh, and that is Mining the Gap, the documentary, which I don't know how much we can talk about the shape the movie goes on before it becomes a spoiler. Like, I'm going to say something and you can just bleep it out if it's a spoiler. Right, yeah, that's fine. This movie, at first glance, looks like what I would say um, mid-90s is, which is just a look at skateboarding kids and the act of skateboarding and the bond that it makes um in mid 90s it's about more than that quote of course but it's rarely showing you that much more than that it's like you're learning about their lives through them bonding over this one activity they do together yeah um mining the gap is not that movie at all mining the gap opens up from being about people skateboarding together to basically being like boyhood the documentary like (laughs) a a movie that spans years and follows this group of friends as they kind of diverge and go in different places and skateboarding becomes like maybe a metaphor for the freedom that they're looking for but it is hardly the focus of the movie anymore um and i i just thought it was an amazing parallel to this so i i loved mind of the gap i think I think like my letterbox review is this is a perfect documentary and I, I stand by it. I think if the goal of a documentary is to just show a certain kind of life and just like walk you through that, the access this movie gets to different people as they go through things and the emotions that they're going through is unbelievable. And I felt I felt so many emotions <laughs> watching this documentary, which is partly why I don't know what I should say and what I shouldn't say. Like, so I'm going to mention the themes this movie brings up and I'm going to try to not go into specific. Yeah. I think if you don't talk about people, you can talk about the themes without being too spoilery. Yeah. So one major theme of this movie is uh, abuse, particularly like domestic abuse from, from men to other women or from adults to children. 
Um, and every character in their own way kind of is going through something about this theme. And the way the movie plays, it it, it just handles this where... So so Bing Liu, the guy, the guy who made this movie, is just one of these three friends. They're a group of friends who grew up together in the Midwest. I don't know when exactly they met each other, but the movie begins when they're all like between 18 and 21. Like they're different, different stages of life, uh, but just a little bit. And they're friends who skateboard together and they've been friends for a long time. And so the way he makes this movie, it's very probing and intimate in a way that I don't think anyone who is not already friends with these people could have possibly made it be. So there, there's a character who is uh, grappling with the legacy of having an abusive step-parent who kind of tries to unpack it. There's a character who grapples with like the absence of parents, with how that shapes them, with their relationship with that absent person. Uh, there are characters who are dealing with present issues of abuse inflicted and felt personally. And like that is very, very, very difficult material to show in a documentary without either glorifying the subject or making the subject out to be a villain. And the fact that this movie doesn't do that for any of those characters, it just lets them wade through it in real time like you would if you were a 20-something who was trying to like piece together your life and figure out how you feel. I, I just thought it was amazing. I, I thought that was like an incredible piece of work to get to watch. And I don't I think it only makes mid-90s feel better and vice versa because they're not doing the same thing at all. Like if mid-90s is saying, this is just what it felt like to be this kind of kid, this is the rough way they behaved, this is the things they were dealing with, cut to credits. Mining the Gap is more about the post part of like, how will these kids grow up and what are the different paths that they could take in their lives to reckon with the things that they've done and how much can we blame what they're going through on their past versus blame them for making their own choices. And I, I just think they're very, 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 very interesting movies. Yeah. I, I, I'm the least positive person I know on mind the gap. Um, I, I, I watched it like mid afternoon on like a Sunday or something mm. like that. And it was just, it was a thing that like I watched it because I'd heard a bunch of really good things about it and I wanted to check it out. And I think I appreciate a lot, a lot of what the film does and like to, to your point, like the access he has is incredible. Like, I mean, clearly he didn't start off to make this documentary, but he stumbled onto this documentary partway through and just like went with that because it's the thing that he was most interested in, mm-hmm. uh, most likely. <laughs> um, and I think that there are compelling reveals. There, there are compelling statements that are made by different characters. Um, I think that there's something just something was off for me watching this film. Like I felt it was like it meandered a lot. And I think, I think that to me, the jumping around in time that it did to kind of put narrative themes together bugged me just because you're watching these kids age and they're in the middle of growing to where some of them look very different after their growth spurts. And some of them look very much the same. And when you're watching these characters behave in similar ways throughout time, it it just, there, there was a distracting thing to me where I'm like, I'm following your narrative, but I feel like you're jumping forward and backward to complete your narrative in a way that you want to. And I, and I couldn't, I just couldn't tell where we were at any one given point in time. Um, and that sort of bugged me a little bit. But I think for me, the filmmaker himself is the only self-aware character in the film. Hmm. The other characters talk as if the camera is not there, 
the way that people in a reality show do. And I, I just don't believe that like, I, like I, when I'm in any relationship, I can't have a fight while other people are, are there. I just, I, I don't want people to hear anything. I don't want to say something in front of other people. It's just a thing where it's like, I, I would never personally sit there while my friend's holding a camera pointed at me and have a fight with somebody. Like, mm-hmm. that's insane. And, and I think that there's like, there's this lack of self-awareness that these kids, I mean, they're, they're kids, so they don't have to be self-aware, but just something felt off where it wasn't that I thought it was performance. It was just that I thought that the, the kids just aren't, there's something they don't get about what they're participating in that felt less confessional and just like this is like an asshole who's saying shit because he doesn't know. Like, So I, I think there's a little bit of all of those yeah. things in the movie. And I think, again, it's the kind of thing I've always grappled with, with reality TV and documentaries, which is like the camera is there and the camera will definitely influence things. And the only way to get to enjoy that is to decide how people react to a camera reveals as much about them as what they would do if the camera wasn't there. Yeah. And I think there are very different levels of self-awareness in this movie. Uh, the creator is definitely the most artistically self-aware. Like He can verbalize what he is feeling and thinking in a way that is very clear and very emotional and powerful and seems to be like self-critical and like self-affirming. And he... He's amazing. Uh, he's clearly like ahead of his age, like throughout this movie. Just even early on, the things he chooses to focus on, like there is a one of the three friends. Uh, his name is uh, Kiri, I think. Um, I, I don't. I don't remember how you pronounce his name. Um, but he is a black friend, and he's growing up with primarily white kids, like in fairly suburban um, Illinois. And there's a time in the movie when it seems like he's starting to recognize what it means that he is not another white kid. And there are moments of people hanging out and making jokes and doing things that people would do all the time where the camera will just kind of look at him and you get a reaction shot of his that is like, I I feel like being the person behind the camera at like your early 20s and knowing this is going to be like a telling thing to look at later that takes so much foresight. Like I, I, I can't believe how self-aware this kid was I, of the kind of things they were doing. So I mean, I, I don't, I don't know him. I can't say anything mm. to his intent, but I really do feel like he stumbled onto things. Like mm. I, I think that he was a very curious kid, and I think that he intuitively recognized these things. But I don't think he thought like, "Ooh, this is going to be the shot that I'm going to use five years from now." To communicate this point, I just think he was like, "Oh, weird." He made. I think he had an instinct. Yeah, he had an no, a hundred percent. Like, very intelligent person. Like, his instinct was amazing. But I just, I don't know that he knew what he was going for. Like, if I can say something super reductive, I think that this is very much like a uh, what's the documentary from last year? The freaking one about the Russians. uh, Oh, Icarus. uh, Icarus. This feels like an Icarus type thing, where like. It dawned on him partway through that, like, shit, these two things. Because there, there's two interviews in this film that make the entire film. Hmm. And if you, in my, in my, in my book, if you remove. See, I, I would disagree with that. I, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but, like, I, I would say that if you remove those two interviews, you lose a lot of what this film is about. Um, because he's definitely connecting these two things, which are separate, but maybe the same. And he's trying to build a narrative for, like, 
where all of that came from. And and I think that it's the first time he puts himself in front of the camera, right? In one of them. Uh, he literally hires other people to come in and shoot him while he's shooting somebody else. Mm. And, and I think that like when you completely change the format of a documentary that you're making – this is your thesis, right? <laughs> like you're you're hanging everything on that moment. And I don't know if this is one of those, I get into weird states where I can see strings and maybe this is one of those things where like I just, it sort of like, I was like, I see what you're doing and I'm less excited now because I feel slightly manipulated maybe. I, I don't know. There was something about it that it, it wasn't inauthentic because he was getting 100% authentic interviews for these moments. It just, it was one of those things where it's like, I feel like if you were to take these out, it would be like taking out the reveal of who the doping expert was, right? <laughs> like, yeah, see, I, I didn't feel that way at all. I felt, um, I, I mean, a, as he explains that interview, and we'll probably should just do spoilers for both movies at some point. Um, but a, as he explains that, when he's in his car on the way to that interview, he basically says... So this is going to be a moment where I'm going to turn the camera at me because th- that'll help maybe equal the scales a little bit. That'll make it more more fair so the viewer will know where I'm coming from. And that is 100% like the way that I read it was just a person who was saying, I'm trying to make a documentary that is an unbiased look at how we live. And that doesn't mean it doesn't have an artistic hand like trying to yeah. weave narratives because, of course, we all make narratives out of our lives. But unbiased in the sense that I'm not trying to weigh in on either way. And one way I'm going to try to account for that is by pointing the camera at myself. And I think well, so, the, the main through line to me of the movie, even though the themes become a through line that are very interesting, but the real joy of this movie to me is just watching these young men grow up and take divergent paths and seeing how um, how self aware quote they are within whatever limitations that means so so just to go back really quickly so i think the filmmaker is very self-aware in a very direct way yeah um there's a character of zach who i'm sure we'll talk about more in spoilers who i think is self-aware in a very performative life of the party i want to hear myself talk and i know like the cadence of what self-aware sounds like and i'm going to perform that for the camera i'm going to heighten everything for the camera um and then the character of kira is kind of like I am a little bit uncomfortable in my own body, right? Like even his his body language is very much like hunched shoulders and questioning what he's saying and always feeling like he's like pulling back a little bit when he's starting to open up. And I think all of them, like the way they approach the camera is very different. But if you like account for that, I think the reality behind it is very, very, very moving for each of them. Like I think they're all being vulnerable. They're yeah, just vulnerable yeah. in very different ways. Yeah, no, that's 100%. And I, and I think that, like, I, I, I may have miscommunicated. Based on your response, I may have miscommunicated a little bit of what I was saying. It wasn't if you take him turning the camera on himself away from the film, you lose. It, it was simply if the interviewee said they didn't want to do the interview, you wouldn't have the same film that you do. Mm. And knowing that, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, if you like, if you literally, if this person said no, you would have nothing to show for your work. <laughs> and and the the narrative would still be there and all these would be true. But I feel that like so in in mid nineties there's a there's a scene and I think I'm pretty sure the audio for it played during the trailer, but uh like you know the wiser older kid says something like uh everybody's got their shit and like 
all things being the same, you would never trade your shit for somebody else's or something like that. Mm. Um, and that film sums up in 15 words, like some of the same themes of like what this film is trying to do. Right. Except for this film explores like, well, why is the shit right? right. <laughs> why is it? And what does it instill in you? Like yeah, what, what yeah. does it cause you? To and and mid nineties is just about like, we all had shit and this is how we escaped it. And this was what were we escaping and how long will we be escaping it for? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I agree. They're, t- they're two sides of similar coin. And I also think they're an interesting thing to compare them to is just the different places, right? Like these are two very different styles, as far as I can tell, of being that skater kid, right? Yeah. There was the the SoCal style. I I don't know a better word than rowdy. Like like it is very much a kind of like a abrasive, like fuck everybody, I'm gonna keep doing this, like Thing. Whereas the Midwest kind, at least as presented by this group of friends, is a little bit more like we're mostly good kids <laughs> that are just like dipping our toe into this feeling of being a little reckless, right? Like, yeah. And and I just thought it was really interesting to see how those different, it's like different varieties of quote fuck up. I use that in quotes because the, these kids like are definitely not, or at least all of them are not in very different ways. Um, yeah. But it it's like two different. It's a universal feeling watching the two movies. Like kids all around the country feel the same way, but then the the specific ways that they're different is also just really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. They're also the the kids in mid nineties exist in a world where they're front and center with a bunch of other people, mm-hmm. and these kids feel part of this documentary feels like like the apocalypse has happened and it's just these kids that somehow survived. Well, like, well, and that's like the the third maybe hidden narrative of the movie is this like Rust Belt town that time kind of forgot, right? Where yeah. the jobs are leaving. And the, there are little things, again, that I, maybe this was done way later when the filmmaker was like a much more self-aware cinematographer or whatever. But yeah, there, yeah, we have no idea how much footage he actually yeah, has. Yeah, because there's, <laughs> lo- there's lots of footage in this movie where it's hearing things on the radio about like jobs leaving or like lingering on billboards that are kind of saying messages that are very like relevant to the subject at hand and there's there's just so much that the movie is doing yeah yeah and 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 i i i recognize and i appreciate those but i I think it's and part of this is like so steven and i do not usually talk about films together before we review them um when i watched this film it wasn't on the docket to be reviewed because it had already been out for a few weeks i don't even know if steven had seen it but dur- during the credits, I like I text you. I was like I was like, did you watch Minding the Gap? I don't know. I felt like it was kind of meandering and blah blah blah. Like I I I it was I, I was gripping in the moment and I was willing. I was I was waiting for you to be like I did. I really liked it. Like I we could have a dialogue in that moment. But I was, I like this is not like a high horse where I'm like this is a shitty documentary. It, it was just a thing where I was like these these are the things that like I was I understood it. I got it. I saw these connections it was making and they just didn't work for me as, as it it wasn't enough to make me celebrate it the way I was hearing it being celebrated. Um, And that doesn't take away from the journeys these characters went on. I want to see the follow-up documentary where this kid watches his own doc, not, not the kid, but one of the kids. I want to see what that guy thinks of himself after seeing the film. I want to see what his significant other (laughs) thinks of him after seeing the film. Like there's a lot of compelling things that are in here. And I think the filmmaker spends so much time weaving certain aspects of what he wants to say. 
and then just lets you sit with other things and doesn't comment on, on them at all when when it's the most time for him to comment. And that's an artistic choice and it's 100% fine. Um, I just was alone in my apartment room like <laughs> with nobody to talk to about the film. So we, we should definitely get into it a little bit in... We should just do a joint spoiler, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, our, consider our, this my moment now of telling you, no, I saw it and I loved it. What are you talking about? <laughs> but no, so I, I think, yeah, I think for the most part, we are recommending people see both these films. Right. Um, watch them as a pair. I watched Minding the Gap first and Mid 90s second. Stephen watched Mid 90s first, Minding the Gap second. So pick your thing. Um, we can just do yeah. We can do a joint verdict and then uh, joint spoilers after that. Um, Stephen Miller, if you were going to give either of these films a must see, a record of the caveat, wait for until past with the caveat, or a must avoid, what would you give them? Uh, so I'm giving Minding the Gap a must see in like the strongest sense possible. Again, I I think for what it's doing, it is perfect at it, and that isn't a phrase I use lightly. Like this is not a perfect movie has become like the cliche that you're supposed to say all the time. Cause no shit, like nothing is a perfect movie, but this movie gets damn close to me. <laughs> you never heard of a little movie called Inception. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, mid nineties, I've been, I've been going back and forth because I, I thought it was, it was really great at a certain thing, but that thing is very narrow and it does fall prey to a couple of things. So I think I'm going to give it a very, very strong loving recommend with a caveat where I think this is like, really strong first effort. I think Jonah Hill is a filmmaker to watch. I do think there are emotional moments in this movie that didn't need to be there where he's just like maybe throwing a little too much at it. And that's yeah. sort that's sort of combating the intimate slice of life thing that he's going for. You might say he's losing control. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> must see mining the gap. Very strong recommend with a caveat mid-90s. Caveat being, it is very abrasive, and it is dealing with one thing to the exclusion of all else, and if you aren't on board for that, then this movie is probably going to leave you a little cold. Yeah. I think uh, much like the order of reversals that we had in our films, uh, you can just take all of your exact words and apply them to the reverse films. I absolutely love mid-90s. It's a must-see for me. Um, it is not a perfect film. <laughs> I think it does do some things that are unnecessary and over the top. Um, but it is just, I, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I really loved every moment of it. Um, Minded the Gap. I enjoyed the journey. I appreciated what was going on. I just, it didn't, it didn't stand out for me um, the way some other documentaries um, that I've seen have, uh, right? Things where like I walk away with it like when it ended i was just tired <laughs> um it wasn't a thing that it, it didn't sit with me other than wanting to talk to somebody about it afterwards um and i think it's one of those documentaries that can maybe make you reflect back a little bit but it, it just it wasn't it didn't it didn't have a weight on me or uh uh intellectual thought-provoking thing that it did at the end it was just kind of like he came to some insights about his life. <laughs> okay, now, so, yeah. gun to your head, which had the better shot skateboarding scenes? Uh, so even that is different because I feel um, the, the with the exception of the one boy, um, the, the, like, the... Um, 
so both films like there's like the older black kid who's like the kind of not wiser but like i mean in obviously in mid-90s he's the far wiser yeah. kid and the other one it's just the guy who's trying to just do right by his obligations as both a human of them are kind of like the moral compasses of the yeah yeah like they're, like they're the person who you root for the most mm-hmm. they're the person who is just trying to be responsible um mm-hmm. i mean like obviously the filmmaker isn't trying to not be responsible yeah. but like they're the one who just they just want to make it they want to do their thing mm-hmm. um and i think that um uh, i think that i forget the point i was trying to make oh yeah so bo- both those characters are interested in like progressing their skill at skateboarding itself but I think the other kids, kind of in both films, aren't striving for doing much. And right. I think that they have a different style. Like, uh, Minding the Gap is kind of a little bit the way I skateboarded, right? Where it's like, you're just kind of like cruising around and mm-hmm. kind of doing little things here and there. And it's less about, can I do more of a trick than the other guys? Um, I think it's probably shot a little better in... Uh, Minding the Gap? A uh, little. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I'm going to tip my hand. Minding the Gap, I thought, was like beautifully shot. But, of course, it is not as in the tricks. It's not as in the weeds as yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. mid-90s. Like, like I, think, I think that uh, Minding the Gap is a, is a kid with a camera who wants to film things interestingly. And in uh, mid-90s, it's everything else that's supposed to take front and center point as opposed to the tricks. It's like, it's, it's these guys are doing trick tricks mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. And, um, I, it's less concerned with how can I shoot this the way that shows off the tricks? Like, it's not until like the skateboard video at the end that yeah. like you see skateboardy quote unquote mm-hmm. cinematography. So I'll accept it. You, but now, what now, which one has a better shot of, kids on a somewhat empty road at sundown riding toward the camera slowly <laughs> i mean uh minding the gap <laughs> i again agree though the mid-90s one still got me in a good place yeah, yeah it's still good i will say this too about mid-90s so i i didn't grow up in la um grew up in oceanside um during that age time i was in south oceanside and uh i will say i don't know what street they were on in la but it sure as hell looked a lot like Coast Highway. Mm. <laughs> and it just it like that could have been any store along that street. Um, and it just felt it felt very much like I remember that. Except for my the skate shop we went to was like a skate and surf shop. And it was it was not like a little hole in the wall skate shop. It was a two story building <laughs> that had like <laughs> surf stuff on the bottom floor and then skateboarding and snowboarding stuff up top. It was anyways. Now, I, I will say in terms of movies with the the most loving rendition of a person setting up a younger person's board for the first time, I actually think mid-90s did it better. Oh, oh yeah. Mid-90s did it way. Mid-90s <laughs> wore it best. Yeah. <laughs> so props to Jonah. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, we are going to close out this episode in the pre-spoiler section. Um, musical fade up, as it always does. And when the music fades back out, we'll be in full-blown spoilers for both mid-90s and Minding the Gap. Uh, mid-90ing the gap. Um, so, Stephen Miller, <laughs> if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? People can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to us, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to own the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thus for the warning. 
If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to mid-90s and or uh, Minding the Gap. Uh, we'll find some music to throw in there somewhere. Um, so hopefully you are enjoying that. Um, we're going to go re-grip tape our boards. <laughs> and in about 10 seconds or so after this music fades back out, we will be in full-blown spoilers for both films. So be, be warned because we're going to be coming at you. So we are back. This is spoiler territory. It's the after uh, part of our review of both mid-90s and Minding the Gap. Um, We are here to talk full-blown spoilers for both films, or at least how some of the greater themes um, are revealed and pertain to both films together, intertwangled (laughs) in our uh, cool uh, little episode here. Um, But Stephen Miller, do you want to start us off and kind of take us home on, I assume, Minding the Gap? Yeah, sure. So we can we can start with the elephant in the room. Um, a big thing Mining the Gap becomes about, as I mentioned before, is about abuse, uh, domestic abuse. And the two most, like, the two primary elements of that are uh, the filmmaker, Bing Liu, sitting down and interviewing his mother about her former husband, his stepfather, who abused both of them, but primarily abused him, and just asking her point blank, like, when did you know? How did you feel about it? Why did you stay with him? Like, explain to me how this could exist, which, incredibly powerful moment. Yeah. The the one that more shocked me could be put on film in a documentary is with his friend Zach and his girlfriend Nina, who at the beginning of the movie, she has just gotten pregnant, uh, or I guess she's been pregnant for a little while. They have an ultrasound already, I think. Yeah, yeah. And they are moving in together. Um, and cut to them having a kid, them being in a kind of verbally abusive relationship. We see that where she's yelling at him, he's yelling at her. Your feeling is kind of, oh, they're just way too young to have a kid together. Like they're playing house and it... I you know people should not be doing this at this age. Yeah. Um and then as time goes on we start to see that he was physically abusive like he punched her in the face and Nina tells uh, the filmmaker about this and we have this really like interesting moment where we're all sort of implicated in it right like what do you do now? What do we do with this movie where we've been following this character of Zach Presumably we rooted for him because we root for everyone in a movie at first. And now we found out that he like abuses his girlfriend, who is also a friend of the filmmaker. Yeah. And and she says, like, please don't bring it up to him. Don't say anything. And for the rest of the movie, his character to me just took like a very interesting dark turn where you're kind of seeing like what happens when a person spirals out of control like he moves away to denver he stops paying child support he is bragging about his life but you spend one night watching him and it's clear like you think this is cool but this is not cool you know this is actually very very sad and by the end what i assume is the second interview that you talk about um 
is with him sitting on a hill. Yeah, on a hill. To, yeah, talking about his life, where at first he's putting up that front, and then by the end he's really crying about, like, I'm such a fuck-up, I don't know what to do, like, I don't know who I am, I think this is just how I was raised, and I don't want to impart this on my kid. To me, the only thing that interview really told me is, like, this guy is self-aware, but at the same time can't stop performing. And to me, that interview was very, it was vulnerable, but it was still very performative in the way yeah. that he is like, it, it, it's kind of like how in, um, not to spoil another movie, but in A Star is Born, like you, <laughs> you didn't like how Bradley Cooper's alcoholism, it seemed like he had four different things he could blame for it. You yeah. know, I think that's exactly how people with problems are. There are so many things they can latch onto that are like, this is the narrative that made me who I am. This is the epiphany that is going to explain all of it. And I felt like the character of Zach, we were just seeing that epiphany and none of it fucking excused what he did to his girlfriend, but it did humanize him at the same time. And I thought I, I, a, a movie doing both of those things where I feel bad for his life and I also do not excuse it at all. When he and his girlfriend wind up together at the end, I am not cheering. I'm thinking like, is this just the start of another cycle? And uh, yeah, I, I just thought for documenting that was so heavy and getting to see that in real time with like the kind of delicate hand that the filmmaker puts on it, where he never excuses it. He clearly has personal reasons too, to definitely not excuse it, but he does keep watching and he doesn't like let go of either people. And I, I just thought that was like really, really, really powerful. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess for me, like in, in the moment, like, like you said that she tells him not to, not mm. to confront him about it yeah. because she, she's worried about the fallout from it. And I can understand how he would be like, I'm going to respect her wishes because we're friends or whatever. Like, that's fine. I won't say it. But like, there's never scenes where he, he never inserts himself on her side. Like, look, like you shouldn't have to put up with this. He's just listening to her say things and putting a camera on it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's some level of like, you know, he's interviewing with his mom and being like, did you know he was doing this? Why would you let him if you did know? And if you didn't know, why the fuck would you not Mm -hmm. know? And he was clearly doing this to you as well. Why would you stay with him? He's, he's, he can ask those questions to his mom years later with the hindsight of like trying to put together these themes, but he can't talk to this girl in the moment when he but clearly I feel like knows he, it's he wrong. He does a little bit and it, it's hard because like in the moment it's very sensitive, right? Because the yeah. person has just confessed to you something that is like really terrifying. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like he, he does ask like, are, why do you put up with that? How often does he do it? Are you still with him? How do you feel now? Like, I feel like he does tread into it with, yeah. with the light hand that I would expect a young person who doesn't it doesn't know. Like, I don't think he was expecting that when the camera started rolling. Right? Yeah, no, there's there's um, no way he was equipped enough to be able to yeah. intelligently speak with her. But I feel like he also sort of lets his documentary subject be the subject. Mm-hmm. Like he does it nature documentary style, right? Where he's like. All right. Well, I can burrow into this foxhole and I can put a sheet of glass, like a one-way mirror, and hide in here. But I can't touch their food or whatever, or save this baby from being eaten mm-hmm. by a predator. He's sort of just like, I'm just gonna stay hands off. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's there's some like I yeah. I, I, on camera, we don't see his hand acting in any direction. Yeah, like yeah. That. And that's and that. I assume if he did take any action, he would put that in the documentary to kind of give himself a release from like mm-hmm. he's trying to talk to people about why they do the things he do- does and like. He was he was a standard by to a thing that he didn't act on to try to help. And they do eventually break up. So like 
the problem quote fixes itself. But like there's a sense of like he's challenging other people on things that he didn't necessarily challenge himself on at a younger mm-hmm. age because he's looking at it from the future <laughs> essentially right. with a different mindset and, and reality that he's trying to portray. And I think that like the, the, the subjects in the film are impactful, but I feel like they're still not – I see that this happened over time and became what it is. Mm. And, and it's not like some documentaries where there's a break in the case that changes what the doc- documentary is. This is years later reconstructing a narrative throughout time. And maybe right. maybe he started to catch on. Maybe he really was that like mature at a young age to be like, I'm going to follow this as long as they'll let me. And until they cut me off, I'm going to make this thing and one day I'm going to release it. And, and I, I don't know. There's just something – there's something that just I, – I was too in my own head while watching the film to just sit and be awed by it. I just kind of was grappling with the filmmaker himself as a character when he was trying to not be a character in his yeah. film. Um, uh, so another thing I thought was very thematically interesting in that vein – and again, that – that that through line, by the way, is what I think makes this documentary like incredible. Like to to me, that was just the sort of thing that only this sort of access and this very particular movie could have touched on those themes in a way that didn't make me feel gross. Like didn't make me feel icky. I, I know, like a part of you wants to like think that he would do more to prevent future things or to stop it. Yeah. But I, I felt like he he treated it with enough directness and like he did talk to her and he did show like care and love in the way that he was talking to her and asking about it in a way that made me feel like you're treading a a ethical line and this is such a tightrope and I can't believe that you're able to walk it and make a movie um a thing in that vein that I was interested in is there's kind of different responses to violence like the, the arcs that his two friends go on right Zach is going on a I had violence acted on me. Like, I think he says early in the movie that he got his ass beat when he was a kid, you know, as if we're a completely normal thing to happen. Yeah. And we watch him perpetuate that on other people. Yeah, I think I think he actually says the line, nowadays people would call it child abuse. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at the time he was like, well, it's just like an ass whooping because right. you misbehave. Yeah. Um, the The filmmaker is going through a kind of, not forgiveness, but a how do I even grapple with this past? How do I forgive the people in the orbit? And his friend Kira is going through almost an inverse one where it's never spoken, at least not directly, maybe it is, but it's kind of clear that his father was, his father was abusive in ways. Like he certainly says his father got in fights. Like I think he said they got in like a fist fight, like one of the last days they talked. Like it, it seems clear that there was some aggression that was in that family. And his arc is like learning to forgive and love his dad and love the good things that his dad imparted on him, even while the the negative still existed. And I just think those, like, if this were a screenplay of fictional characters, I would think like that is too tidy the way you manage to explore like all possible directions of this at once. But yeah. it's real fucking people, and that just <laughs> that just blows my mind. Yeah. Um. So on the flip side, mid nineties. I would say there are more just hints of the of the violent aspects. Like we don't know much about the other friends in mid nineties. We only really get to see the home life of uh, the lead character Stevie. And there, I think the strongest hint we get of his home life is there's the brotherly, 
you know, abuse, the fighting. Yeah. And it, this movie starts, by the way, with him being rammed against the wall by Lucas Hedges and, like, very loud punches being thrown. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a very abrasive opening scene. And it is not the, like, aha, kids doing horseplay, isn't this funny? I remember getting beat yeah. up by my brother. This is, like, holy shit. Well, at one point, he sick it straight up, like, code red. And <laughs> yeah. And he's, like, he's so little, like, just physically yeah. small in this movie. You really feel it. Um, but Lucas Hedges, in the bits we see, like, toward the end of this movie, he gets riled up one night while yeah, it, while Stevie is drunk. And he has, like, basically a, a breakdown where he's screaming into a shirt. And you kind of see, like, oh, maybe this isn't just, like, a bully kid. Like, this is a kid who has, like, serious issues that he's dealing with his, in his own life about his temper and his anger. Yeah. And... I'm not trying to make Stevie complicit necessarily, but, like, he is aware of that and he is, like, happy to provoke it still, right? And, like, it, there's this interesting flip side where it's, like, this is a – like, it's a violence, but it comes from somewhere. Like, it isn't just, like, violence because I'm the older brother and I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Yeah. Um, and then even the lead character, like, short, shortly after that, there's a scene where he's – I don't know if I would call it self-harm necessarily, but he's, like – angry and he's choking himself on a uh, a game controller well i mean it, it's definitely self-harm because yeah. earlier when he he steals money from his parents and he uses a brush to like abrasively right like, but you're right you're yeah, right. yeah so he, he's definitely into feeling punishment for mm-hmm. actions that he takes like yeah. he whatever that wherever that stems from mm-hmm. that was like that was earlier i was talking about things that like i didn't partake in that yeah. like that that's the part that felt foreign for me, but I could still understand the mindset of right. what the character was going through. Yeah, and, um, and I think we get we don't ever really learn about his dad, I think. I don't forget it. I don't remember if he opens up about that at all in the movie. I think his I think his dad just left when they were really, really young. Because mm. he his mother's been a single mother for what seems like a while. Because she talks about dating as if it's not just like she's been on a few dates since your father and I broke up. It sounds yeah. like she's been trying to find a man for years. Right. Um, and, and and in those families, I think there's another interesting parallel because Catherine Waterston is dating and she doesn't have an amazing relationship with her kids. Uh, there, There's a moment, right, I'm not making this up, where she had a man over yeah, yeah. and it's like very, like the kids are very uncomfortable about it uh it's like this thing it's this foreign object right like a presence in the house and that exact same thing happens in minding the gap too where uh kira's mother just while while the filmmaker just happens to be there doing interviews kira's mom has a new boyfriend who we very briefly see and even though we only get to see like a few seconds of him we see enough to be like this guy's bad news like he has some controlling relationship over her and being a kid in that house while this person is here who you don't know and you didn't invite in would be like a thing that you want to escape from. And it, it that was just another example to me where it was so like crazy the parallels that these movies managed to have just by trying to be truthful to the story yeah. of, of these kids. So what, one question I have for you, um, just the way – so in mid-90s, the idea is that everybody is going through really terrible things – potentially has really damaging home lives and they skate to get away from that. There is a sense that all of the boys know of, but never acknowledge publicly with each other, these home lives. Like, you know, the, the one guy tells the the lead character, like, 
you know, this dude with the camera is the poorest guy I know. Like, yeah. he literally just has that camera and that's it. This guy is getting beat up. Like, everybody knows, but no, there's no scenes where they sit together and they talk about how hard home life is. Mm-hmm. They try to hide it from each other. Uh, Minding the Gap is halfway the opposite of that, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody is talking to the camera, but they're not talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense that, like, what they're saying is a, maybe a release for them, but they're still not talking about it. Yeah. And, and And it doesn't... What the film – like he questions his mom, why did you not know or why did you not say something? But like as kids, they weren't saying anything to each other either. Right. And they were just hiding it from each other the whole time. And they all have something that's similar. Mm-hmm. And he is the filmmaker knows this because they're confessing to him. But he is never the character who's allowing them to confess to him. Mm-hmm. They're always confessing to the camera. Mm-hmm. And he never talks. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I don't know – what both films are saying. I don't know how to, because they, they both don't comment on why, but they are doing these things that are wildly different. Mm. And I think that, I don't know. I, I feel like he was so concerned with being a documentarian that like he didn't want to, and like I said, he may not have been equipped enough to be able to have any meaningful conversation. He could have been literally hiding behind the camera. Um, mm. Maybe, or, or again, another possibility is maybe they did have these conversations, and he didn't want to film those because that wasn't, yeah, like that that wasn't the camera style that he wanted. Yeah. You know, Zach even makes fun of it later. Like, what kind of camera are we doing today? Am I going to pretend you're not here? Am I going to talk to you? Like, yeah. now how do we handle it? But, but no, I agree, and I think that I mean, I mean, both films are about again kids who escape something, and they're escaping hard stuff that they don't they don't know how to constructively talk about, maybe. Um, and if there's a gap huh, between the two movies, it, it's probably that in Minding probably, the Gap... It's probably not minded. Yeah. In, in Minding the Gap, they're a bit older, so they are like maybe starting to conceptualize like the importance of releasing things. Like yeah. the character, one of them says, this has been kind of like therapy for me, you know? And th- the kids in mid-90s like wouldn't even know what therapy is like, yeah. right? Like nobody would make that joke in that movie. Well, even, even in the Q&A, somebody in the audience asked what they think about them as their life now. And they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like they, had, they, were, they weren't even equipped to comment on what they think of their status in as being the people they are in the film. <laughs> yeah. But I think we see in some of the kind of flashback footage that Bing Liu shot, um, we see how they were when they were younger, and we see an extended period of time where his friend Kira is getting upset all of a sudden and, like, smashing his skateboard. Like, he's he's yelling at... And I, I think it's maybe another person's skateboard that he's jumping on. I don't remember anymore. Oh, there's and some, he's like a, like a child yeah, child, right? Yeah, yeah there's yeah. some altercation where there was clearly a past where they were a bit more, like, rough and tumble. Um, yeah, I think, I think somebody... Today. He got an altercation with somebody who runs off and leaves the skateboard, and he's yeah. like, well, fine. And he spends like 10 minutes just trying to break this skateboard because he weighs 12 pounds and he can't physically break it. But so I think both of these movies are about repressed feelings and like what outlet do you have when you don't have maybe the healthy outlet to channel them. Yeah. Um, and in mid nineties, so much of this is unspoken, right? Like if, if not for that final moment where Ray talks to him and kind of lays out like, these are all the characters and these are the things that they're going through. The movie, I, I was trying to figure out, like, what is it about this friendship? Because they are not unconditional friends. Like, they beat the shit out of each other. Like, Ruben, Ruben and Stevie are basically not friends because of a thing that is, like, outside of Stevie's control. Um, people get in fights. People are, like, 
clearly arguing over petty shit. They're not like all warm and fuzzy. I love you. You love me. We're going to stick together forever. But like the boundaries of their friendship are cutting in different ways. Like they're not, they're not afraid of like being othered or being excommunicated or anything. And they, they kind of bond over this, like this unspoken way of sharing with each other. And the sharing is maybe just time. It's just like, we're all here. We all know why you don't need to hear any more than that. The end. Um, whereas mining the gap is a little bit more of maybe we were already friends before and now we're drifting apart and skateboarding is the one thing we have in common. So we're trying to talk over our lives and bond, but we are not going through the same thing except for this very like compelling through line that the filmmaker found of, well, we are actually all grappling with forms of abuse at the same time. Yeah. But, but I feel like in, in mid nineties, there's, as things start to come to a head before the night they all get in the car and get in the, the drunk driving accident, like uh, there, you start to see that they are all starting to understand that they're not in the same shared experience. They're mm-hmm. in a shared experience, but that they're all getting different things from that. And they're realizing that like they don't want what the other person has. Yeah. There's even that moment where like, there's I, I thought it was a really powerful moment when um when Ray tells him to to put down the forty, mm-hmm. right? And he like looks up and he sees he has two heroes. One's the the big party guy who's gonna get him chicks, yeah. and one is the dude who just wants to be a pro skater. And like he's mad that he told him to stop drinking, but then he looks up and he sees him talking to like the pro skaters who are like giving him props for some tricks that he was doing earlier. And he's like, huh. And then he sees his other hero who is just drunk off his ass and embarrassing everybody. Mm -hmm. And like, he's like, I don't know what I want anymore because he's been trained to think that the partying is fun. But then he sees that it's not fun and he realizes who he's become in this moment. And then he gets in a fight with the other kid who hates him because he's the cool one now. And it's like his whole world just erupts and he doesn't know how to deal with that. And I think that like that moment is really, really powerful. Like if the movie ended there, I would just be like, mm-hmm. like, bravo. This is an amazing film. That was all you needed to say was like, it, it, like until I, I completely agree too. Yeah. I think that is like the biggest emotional moment and everything else afterwards is like explaining what didn't need to be explained. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I was like watching that. I was like, this is fucking, this is, this is, I mean, it's weird time wise, but like th- this is basically Sandlot, but for skaters, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of bas- or baseball players, right? It, it, it just felt like this is like a boy, boy who goes in the system, builds himself out based on these friends that he meets, and then he like decides things about who he is, like mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing all these people. And like it, it, it just, I, I, I was really impressed with that. And I think that like that film, once again, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> I just got Sandlot on my head now. Um, I forgot what I was saying, but. You know what I mean. It, well, I, I will launch off that and say another, <clears throat> to me, very interesting comparison in the two movies is uh, the characters of Zack and Fuckshit. Um, they both fulfill the role in their respective film of being the kid who was, I, I mean, they're, they're different. Like, Zack had a kind of charisma that I don't feel like Fuckshit ever shows in this movie. But again, we don't see what Fuckshit was like when he was younger. We're only seeing him at his present state where he's maybe like, tipped over into partying a little too hard or being too much about that. But in both cases, you're kind of getting this feeling of how do I, how do I deal with the friend who their partying used to be fun, 
and now it isn't fun. And now they're kind of, they're embarrassing or self-destructive. And I don't know the right way to say that without being judgmental. I don't know the right way to like frame that. Am, yeah. am I wrong, right? Am I just grandstanding because I'm coming from a slightly different place? Or is he objectively fucking up his life and like it is up to me to say something about it? Um, and I, I just thought watching them, again, they're two like very similar arcs. I just thought it was really, really interesting yeah. seeing how that happened. So so one thing that Mid-90s did, I mean, I've been celebrating Mid-90s so much I can at least like take away from it a little bit real fast, is just that If, if like the ringleader of the group refuses to let the guy talk to the cool skaters because he's embarrassing him, I feel like he's he's demonstrated the type of awareness that he would not tell everybody to get into the car with him mm-hmm. that last night. I agree. And I feel like the only justification for everybody getting in, which is a huge knock on his character, is that he thinks that they will no longer be friends again if he does not get in the car. That that not getting in the car then will be an unrecoverable action. Because he does feel down when he says get in the car. Mm-hmm. Like, like, But he, he commands – like it wasn't even a thing where he's like this can't possibly go well. There's not even a thing of like let me drive. There's not – there's nothing. He just defeated, puts his shoulders mm-hmm. down and goes everybody just get in. And it's – he just – he can't deal with it. And I don't think the film does enough – to explain why the character takes that action when we he's demonstrated an awareness that fuck shit is fuck shitting things up. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I, I just don't know that bugged me because it was real obvious where they were going. Right. <laughs> um, it was very clear. And I, I agree for the same reason. I felt like his, his character, especially, but all of them, but especially his character in that moment, I didn't feel like they would have gotten in the car. I, I, there was like a weird inevitability to it because this is where the movie needs us to get to yeah. that I don't think was justified in, in the way the characters behave. Yeah. Like the only way it makes sense is like, quote, metaphorically, that they're all going in this together anyway, right? Like they're going yeah. down with the ship, but that that isn't a choice they would have actually made in that moment. I mean, the best case scenario, I could accept him lone getting in the car with him and the two of them driving off and then not making it or something like mm-hmm. that. Like it, it just, it, I, I, I didn't see him putting the little kid in the car with them at yeah. the very least. Right. Um, but once they were in the car, the way they handled that was at, le- at least it wasn't the, the usual like slow motion intersection shot with the rolling of the car. Like it was just a very fast and then like, fuck right. That came faster than I expected it to come. And I, I at least appreciated the attempt to just like, sit with the surprise of it, even though it wasn't a surprise, the way it was presented was a surprise. So. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Uh, any last thoughts on the film? I, it- I would, but I think we've run... Minute-wise, we must be in the mid-90s by now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we can wrap up. Alright, uh, well, we are going to take off then. Uh, thank you for listening. Hopefully... Hopefully that the back and forth of these two films wasn't too crazy. <laughs> All right. See you guys later. Later. <laughs>